Hi, thanks for listening to Doc Fermento Discovers the World. Hosted by me, Brian Davis. This is episode 33 with Justin Husher. Justin is uh, an urban farmer in Cleveland. Here's his bio from his blog. It says, after not being content in corporate environments over the last decade, I've started a company, Gerben E. Gerben... Gerben. Green Urban Enterprises, LLC. Initially, we will be starting an urban farm to be a part of the burgeoning local foods industry of Cleveland, Ohio. Our second primary goal is to create distribution networks for the urban micro-scale farmer in Cleveland. Ideally, this will be a copyable model for other cities. And he's got some more information on there. So Justin wrote a little comic book called The Urban Farm Manifesto, which I found very interesting. So I contacted him. He invited me over to his house. We just sat down, talked about the manifesto, his urban gardening. Oh, and rock and roll. We talked about rock and roll. Definitely the rock and roll. Justin loves rock and roll. And, of course, don't forget to go to askbrian.com, B-R-Y-A-N, askbrian.com. Hit the resources tab and get yourself some uh, cultures from Cultures for Health, you know, a good yogurt culture or something like that. Then I've got some coconut oil on there. You get some cultures, you get some coconut oil, then you're going to need the squatty potty. So get yourself a squatty potty. Learn how to poop properly. And there's books there, so get a book, too. you got your cultures, your coconut oil, your squatty potty, and a good book. Hey, what more could you ask for? Oh, well, you you should get an, like an AeroPress, an Aerobi AeroPress to make coffee with, or um, the Hario V60, uh, the Hario coffee dripper. You maybe you should get one of those. The coffee, the culture, the coconut oil, the squatty potty, the book. And then then you're pretty good at that point. Well, you're, you're on the right track. All right. I'll let you go. Enjoy the show. talk most about the manifesto or are we going to be talking about a little bit of everything everything okay but the manifesto of course yeah okay cool that's how i kind of found out about you i think was um trying to remember local food cleveland yeah it's fairly good site (laughs) and then um i was really inspired the first time i saw that site and then after trying to engage with people it went i just went oh this is useless I'm, oh great! It has nearly three thousand members. Ten are engaged. Whatever That's the number. That's exactly what the issue is. Okay, so what happened was I met Maurice on there. Okay. He hey. actually found my profile, and it's because I mentioned fermentation. Uh-huh. And then he's like, "Hey, what's up? What's up with fermentation? Whatever." We just started. We just became friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I saw your work on there with the manifesto, and it really caught my eye. And well, I'm not exactly a man about town, so I couldn't go to your events or anything like that. I don't go out. I don't. You really you're just I, I don't, don't like going out? No, or? I don't go. I don't like I don't like uh, 
Do you go to parties at people's houses? Or? Um, very close friends. Do you have like social phobias? Is that? I don't think so. I just don't like people. <laughs> Mostly, I guess. But oh, all right. I don't know. I don't know. It's just not my thing. Like, but I'm try- I'm I'm getting out there a little bit more. <laughs> uh, and then the other person, though, uh, met, you know, through there was um, Brian Doyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, so between him and Maurice, got they get me out of the house a little bit. So is Maurice out of town though, right? Yeah, he's in North Carolina now. Is he coming back or anything? Or uh, no, he's got a well, he's got a gig down, a job down there. Okay. He's heading up. Uh, Doing similar thing he was doing here. I, I've never known exactly what he was doing. Yeah, before. no one does. <laughs> <laughs> I know he always talks about compost. That's, that's it. Yeah, and gleaning food that's left over from anywhere and repurposing it, whether it be for human consumption or for the earth. Okay. Yeah, just keeping that cycle going, <laughs> and then trying to extract. We can out Some of kind it of cash, yeah, angle out of it as well. Also, feeding people, feeding worms, and I'm not sure. It, I it was pretty inspiring because I, you know, I'm not exactly. Uh, I don't know anything about this shit. It's all Are we going right now? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I didn't know that we were formally going. Yeah. Okay. I was just start, and then I usually delete the first five minutes because it. No, I, 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 I sometimes when you hit pause, that kind of stuff still works, but it seems like it's going. Forward. It's going. All right. Well, that's cool. Um. <laughs> so what brought about you creating this urban farm manifesto? Oh my gosh, just because I have a lot of opinions is mostly it. Um, I've always wanted to write a book is another reason. I had visited uh, Oregon, Oregon rather, I used to live there for a little while. And I had visited for like the first time in like five or six years and Went to Powell's Bookstore, which is like one of the greatest bookstores right, on in, Earth. In the Earth, Ronnie, yeah. And, uh, my God, their small foods, urban farm, permaculture section of the store is kind of as big as, bigger than this room. You know, it's like one giant wall. And I was like, man, had this idea for the Urban Farm Manifesto for a while, but after seeing Powell's with Urban Farm This, Urban Farm That, Urban Farm Everything, I felt like going into the winter would be a good time to really focus on writing an urban farm manifesto before someone else does in the next six months. Is so, this last year? Yeah, so this would have been Thanksgiving of 2011, and then needing to do something over the winter and feeling inspired by going to Powell's mm-hmm. bookstore, I felt uh, last winter, 2011 to 2012, would be a good time to do it. I've kind of had an outline for most of this mm-hmm. in the meantime, like sort of just like really, really loose outline. And uh, yeah, I wanted to work with an artist. Um, also at the same time, Jack Prince, which is a local printer in Cleveland, started doing these comic book formats that were not not quite affordable, <laughs> but at the same time, oh, really? pretty easy to do. So okay. like, again, those are not cheap to make. But at the same time, they're somewhat reasonable to make, and I they're, see. they're so, full color. Because it's full color, and it's like a comic book. It's it's yeah, it's a comic book format for sure. Yeah, a lot of people apparently are starting to do like poetry with that format, comic books with that format, manifestos with that format, and, and so forth. But it, it's cool that it can be printed right here in Cleveland, and 
this was an outlet that I immediately found like by coincidence. Was the printed version that important to you versus like PDF, digital? Yeah, I, I'm a little old fashioned like that. Yeah, yeah I like cool. printed okay. versions. I have a actually that's not most of my. I have a lot of books. Yeah, I like hard copy things. I like vinyl records. So something that I can touch and feel was Sweet. important and did feel good, and I wanted that. Yes. How long were you farming before? How have you been in this? Um, that would have been my second full year of urban farming. I'm on my third full year right now. I've been a long, long, long time gardener. I got a degree in botany. This is always something I thought I would do when I was more like 40, 45, but I would leave a city environment to do it. And I thought <clears throat> kind of by that age, which I'm almost that age, I'd be really bored with city living, like I'd be bored with rock and roll, I'd be bored with good beer, I'd be good, bored with restaurants and so forth, and now I seem less and less bored with what the city will attract me for, and uh, I'm glad I can do this in the urban environment now, like it's sort of like a long time wish that I thought I'd have to move away to do, and now it's happening in, in the city, and particularly in the So now the urban and, angle has taken on its own special significance, it's not just the gardening, but it's the fact that it's urban that makes it... Uh, not necessarily the fact that it's urban, the fact that I'm an urban liver and okay. I could actually do this do it. in an urban environment. Um, don't get me wrong, the urban environment has its hang-ups, um, but I'm excited to be able to not have to move out to the country to you know pursue this dream. Yeah. Is this your sole source of income? <laughs> no, my wife is my sole source of income. Okay. This is what uh, would like to become a, a major source of income, and that's yet to really um, come to fruition. Okay. I made some money, but not enough money to pay a mortgage payment. Okay. Is it? Is there a certain time frame? Like, are you expected to have like to not? cover, you know, to not, for five years, ten years? Well, you know, that, that's the thing, like, they always say a new business takes three to five years to recoup your, your, you know, uh, recoup what you spend on it, recoup your investment, that's the word I'm looking for. The first year I ran it on operating loss, the second year I was a little bit ahead, those two years pretty much canceled each other out, so I'm on my third year, <laughs> I don't see any major expenses that aren't accounted for, so I see most of this year being a lot more profit than any of the last two years and um, kind of with some of the things I've done to set up for the future like the perennial expansion farm um, I see more income streams from different sources over a longer period of time at this point oh, so you have a, a second location or is it the same place no it's a second location that's sort of why my my, <clears throat> my spring and my early summer was lame because I was setting up this perennial farm on uh, the east side of town. It's on um, off of East 82nd in Kinsman. Okay. What are you doing there? It's Old Husher's Perennial Expansion Farm, and it's got 4,000 feet of asparagus, 2,000 feet of rhubarb, which is about 140 rhubarb plants, and 2,000 feet of high-dense um, sunchokes. So it's just oh. three crops. So, okay. But those are perennials. They'll be there forever. Now that the soil's all worked up and kind of nice and bricks be gone, um, you know, I have to maintain it, but it won't be everyday harvesting, it won't be everyday weeding, it won't be everyday watering, it won't be every year planting. So cool. it's there for indefinitely, permanently. Oh. <laughs> cool. And that type of perennial culture really, really attracts me. One of the major problems I talk about in the manifesto is how we don't have long term 
access to land. And I would, a lot of people in the city would like to do more perennial cultures, more mm-hmm. fruit trees, more berries, more yeah. nuts, all that kind of stuff. But with the five-year lease that the city gives us, um, a lot of people are afraid to make that commitment. The commitment. Ah. The yeah. Kinsman Farm is like a co-op that they're developing. Okay. And I found sort of like a safety in numbers approach over there versus where I'm regularly farming right now. So basically the fact that there's going to be like 12 to 20 other folks kind of dependent on this one major area seems like a safe bet that even though we only have a five-year lease, they'll be more willing to renew it. It's also kind of, it's kind of in a rougher part of town than my farm is on West 130th. 130th, thousands of cars go by every day, so like it should be a British Petroleum gas station, and I think the city wants to hold out to make it such. To get that. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. even though there's no buyers right now, it's this, ooh, like, yeah. with 6,000 properties, we might be able to sell this one for a premium, and mm-hmm. it was kind of my fault for being stupid that to think the city would ever give me or even sell me at an affordable rate, but... That's how the... So it's on a lease right now? It's on a lease right now, and it was presented as, like, if you do your job, son, you'll be able to get gifted or granted or even, like, a hundred or a thousand dollar title fee, you know, something within reason. And recently I've been told because my farm is on such a prime drive through location, there's no way in H-E double hockey sticks that Cleveland will ever really part with that. And it's really actually been um, really discouraging to me. And my cynicism level has gone extremely, extremely up. Yeah. And, it's, and it's always been naturally kind of high. So <laughs> that's where I'm kind of at right now. And I'm not meaning to be a downer, but that's just uh, the facts of life. And that's business with the city of Cleveland, you know? Yeah. What are you growing at that location? That location is classically, you know, a general garden annual vegetable plot. So I, I normally specialize in heirlooms. I'm not 100% an heirloom purist. But, you know, the, the 25 different kinds of tomatoes are over there, the 12 different kinds of peppers, the, the cantaloupe you just saw, the crazy yeah. Marina di Trilogia pumpkin you just saw. That's annual production. So stuff you have to plant every year. Yeah. Um, and this is, like, for um, food for sale at restaurants, Farm markets, is that the idea that it's... It is food for sale, yeah. It is an urban farm. Uh, I don't like the term market garden because I believe market gardens can be plowed over. Uh, Urban farm is a lot more substantial of a saying. A farm is something you do for money, where a garden is something you do for a hobby. Um, So yeah, I mostly sell at a couple of different farmer's markets. There's Gordon Square off of West 65th. Then there's Leaf Night in Lakewood here. And then couple restaurants treat me pretty good. Fat Cats, uh, Spice, and Root are primary ones. Actually, the sole ones, rather. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But uh, between those outlets, for the most part, uh, most vegetables get sold. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Except kale. Kale sucks. It, really? Kale is like the hardest thing in the world. I can't imagine. I can't believe that because it seems so popular. Everyone's in everybody. Kalehead. Everybody's a kale head. Everybody kind of grows it. It grows easy. There's a lot of it. Okay. I don't know. I've, so it's losing its value. I've made so ridiculously huge bundles of it yeah. and like try to sell it because it's a huge bundle, and it's just like it just doesn't sell, dude. Really? Yeah. Surprising, <laughs> huh? Oh. It's an awesome 
food. Oh, it's a total power food. It's an yeah. amazing, great thing to have, great thing to eat, great thing to do. But uh, what kind of kale do you grow? I grow mostly the Red Russian, but I've also grown like the Blue Curled Scotch, and then um, like the classic, like not classic, uh, Dinosaur Lacinato, Nero di Toscano, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Kale. So I kind of grow most of those three here and there. Red Russian is what I have mostly planted this year. That's the like a broad leaf. It looks kind of like almost like an oak leaf. Yeah, it looks leaf. like an oak leaf with like a purple stem. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're real flat. Real, real flat. Not yeah. as flat as like the dinosaur kale. Like it ruffles a little. Bit. Okay. Yeah. I know it. Right. Yeah. It's like those three kales are pretty much what's out there. Cool. So, how do you you feel like you might be? Working towards nothing over there, like if the yeah, that's, away, then that's what? exactly what it's feeling like right yeah. now, and it's again kind of really discouraging. At this point, I'm not like pulling up any more bricks or rocks or okay. chunks of asphalt or uh-huh. crazy effed up stuff. And the dirt is actually really, 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 really nice. It's really quite fluffy. And how did you do that? <laughs> shoveled and tilled and chilled. And and shoveled it was it was a very very long going process like uh, it would have been nice to have the property plowed first but I've never had it plowed I just always used a tiller and a shovel and when you hear a tank 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 yeah. you'd be like right here and sometimes I'd have a friend help me but a lot of times it would just be like you find the place with your foot and yeah. then kind of wipe it down so you can like find it again and you know when you got through with your row or whatever and then you go digging and then you know, there's a little anecdote in there in the manifesto about like throwing away asphalt in apartment dumpsters and getting busted for it. And that yeah. was, that's not a joke. Like, I've almost got arrested for throwing away rocks in an apartment dumpster oh, like okay. that. And that's this part of what we do, what I did. Okay. About getting your land ready, man. Just getting by. Yeah. Well, just to do what you have to do, to, you know, like you can't plant in those kinds of rocks. It's really quite frustrating. Like, it'll parking lot no I don't there was two houses on the property prior okay and they're supposed to bring in like clean fill dirt and my soil's tested it's low in lead it's like naturally occurring low in lead and it's Mm -hmm. low in bad heavy metals it's it's fine as a base soil okay but you know what they fill it in with is some some junk. So yeah, okay. it's like there's nice rocks, there's like cement pieces, there's nice. bricks. So they're bringing that in. I thought it was just left over. And I, I don't know. That's I have no idea. Like right. you know, when they turned down the houses, they did something. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Okay. So I just uh, again, I know I had to get rid of that stuff in the meantime. <laughs> so it was the most important thing in this. Manifesto, these nine aesthetics. Is that the. No. Is that kind of like. I think everything in there is really, really important. Okay. The nine aesthetics are just kind of a, a view of how to kind of focus what would be good out of urban farming. Um, you know, I think all the points I talk about in terms of like places to sell, and in terms of making definitions, and in terms of uh, talking about what we can all do in the future and land and food sovereignty. I think the whole thing is meant to be taken as a singular body of work. And okay. Again, the nine aesthetics kind of really pinpoint quick and easy sort of what would be good for the rest of us. But it's it's 
you know, it's not exactly 100% the take home. Yeah, I get, I get, I, I see, I hear you. But number one, selling the city makes, I mean, it's self-explanatory. It's super self-explanatory, but a lot of people go to Crocker Park. A lot of people go to Peninsula and go to these bigger markets that are not. So people know Crocker Park is like the upscale, yuppie mall, outdoor mall. It's like a California-style mall in northeastern Ohio. It's the stupidest thing in the world. Okay. But there is a Trader Joe's there, and I will go there once in a while. Yeah, we go to Trader Joe's, I'll admit that, because they've got the butter I need and good (laughs) price on bananas. Yeah, the butter, I like their dried fruits and nuts. (laughs) Yeah, so I I agree. So Crocker Park, yeah, a a lot of farmers will go to these kind of suburban places where they can charge kind of ridiculous prices uh-huh. for their goods. And I understand wanting to make money. I'm a hardcore capitalist. Yeah, because I was going to say, going to number two, for profit. That's the whole... The whole point is to be for profit. Um, the whole non-profit farming thing is its basically completely unsustainable unless you have a professional athlete to tout your product. And basically, a lot of these places talk about community, and you don't really see any of them really giving anything back to the community. I don't really see them teaching a lot uh, in for the community. So I, I, I do believe the for-profit is necessary for this to move forward. Economic sustainability is sustainability job one. Mm-hmm. Um, so in your for-profit model, aren't most of the other, like I even, I belong to City Fresh. City Fresh is not, a, not is non-profit. a non-profit, but that's not a farmer. Okay. City Fresh is a distribution network. Okay. So, from that angle, that's all right? Because they're not competing? They're not competing. They're not producers competing yeah. with my marketplace. Okay. Like, right now, like, I leave exceptions for non-profit models, and one of the ones I really like is Cleveland Crops. They work with disabled adults, mentally disabled, physically disabled adults. Okay. And I'm completely for that. They're more of a, they're a non-profit, but they're for more, they're more like a non-governmental organization. That being said, Cleveland Crops has 10,000 tomato plants, and right now they're flooding the market at $1.50 a pound. Uh-huh. And that, you know, there, there's restaurants I can't sell tomatoes to. Sure right now because of that and I actually support Cleveland Crops they're not one of the ones I have a beef beef with Um, so yeah and then the other thing with the whole non-profit thing is people can get write-offs to give towards salaries towards these institutions so where my salary is completely reliant and dependable dependent on what I sell Mm -hmm. I, I can't you know I can maybe nowadays go to like you know, Kickstarter or Indiegogo or Rocket Hub and try to fund my life that way. But traditionally, these nonprofits basically take all these tax write-offs. Because they're nonprofits, it opens them up to like all this kind of like corporate organizational like do-gooding. Like KeyBank will go to some of these places and mm-hmm. send 50 people to go clean up a nonprofit farm, and they would never, ever, ever, ever do that for me as uh-huh. an individual farmer or a family uh-huh. farmer. That's just not what they do. Then, because they have access to all this extra money, the other thing is they create like unrealistic standards for other farmers to ascribe to or individual farmers to ascribe to. Like, one of the battles I've had is with 
Christina Zuniga 80, who is the director or, I don't know, manager of the West Side Market. I'm like, give us free rent. And, you know, she's like, there's no way we could ever give you free rent. And then, you know, she looks out her window and sees Ohio City Farm with her, like, five hoop houses and their classically, awesomely metal, stylized farm market stand. And she's like, those dudes have money? Like, why don't you have money, punk? So, like, they, they see what these organizations build and think of these individual farmers as organizations. And we literally don't have that funding Available and like yeah, I've seen that mark that farm you're talking about, and it looks like a shit ton of money got poured into that. Those hoop houses cost a fortune. And I would love to be able to afford the Amish to come up from Wooster or whatever to yeah. come and plow my fields, but I that like oh, that they, they literally it was like a photo like like there was tons of photos of the Amish plowing these fields with horses. Like I would love to ship in the Amish, but yeah. humans, individual farmers, can't afford to do that. So again, like. Christine looks out the window and says, these farmers have a ton of money. They can pay rent at the West Side Market. Yeah. But no, these farmers don't. That's an organization. I see. We're not an organization. We're individual yeah. people. We're like small little capitalists that like no one seems to get. So that's my beef with the nonprofits. Um, every once in a while, there's some do-gooders out there. And I just don't think... So what markets do you like? The markets I sell at are Gordon Square Farmer's Market and Leaf, which is Lakewood Earth and Food Night, um, in front of Lakewood Library, which is classically a city fresh stop where they let people up be guest vendors, and I'm kind of a quasi-guest vendor. And so far, those markets have, you know, suited my needs. Are they sort of low-cost entry or free to set up a booth there? Well, yeah, well, that's one of the major things is right now, a lot of farmer's markets, really small farmers can't even sell at because of the application fees and like flat fees of like 20 or 30 bucks. Gordon Square is like 7% of sales with no application fee and Leaf is 5% of sales, no application fee. And, okay. You know, if I was a bigger farmer, I would, you know, with five or six acres, I might want a $20 flat rate. But at this point, uh, places that break down these barriers to entry with a percent of sales approach, no minimums, mm-hmm. are what a lot of the small guys need. Yeah. And then, so when you're there, you, number three in the nine aesthetics is accept assistance. Is this part of that? That the both farmers markets individually, I take the the senior citizen coupons and the women and children coupons. However, with those markets, they allow me to take like the classic Ohio Direction card, which I, as an individual I could do, but it would take a lot of capital infrastructure, mainly a credit card swiping machine, and also a landline, because the state of Ohio will not let squares be used to swipe Ohio direction cards. So squares are like what everybody's using in like all the markets around the world right now to take your smartphone and process a credit card. Smartphone over the air. They because of fraud and like there's fraud in every type of credit card transaction, the state of Ohio says individual farmers cannot use a square for Ohio Direction card. So they basically make us buy a $900 piece of equipment yeah. that needs to be set up to a landline that's totally antiquated so that we can take assistance. And that's what where institutions like Hornsburg Farmers Market and Leaf, uh, they can take that. And then there's also the double the coupon coin thing. Yeah, so the one good... I see how you suffer on the one end. The only 
good thing is at least I don't I don't yeah. suffer. Uh, the, I mean, the farmers not, markets get in have can't, figured yeah. it out. Yeah, and it would be nice if the state of Ohio would allow us to use a square. Yeah, um, politics takes time. And yeah, so I see. I'll explain how that leaf at leaf. You have the direction card, and you buy ten dollars worth of tokens, wooden tokens that are good at that market. Yes. They'll give you an additional ten dollars of these similar tokens that are good for produce at several different markets. That's what they did. Is that how it works? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I I just know I take the tokens. Yeah. So the wooden ones are leaves. The wooden ones I have to the take from leaves. The green ones are can be used anywhere. And, yeah. Or those we'll sixteen different markets that are that, taken. That it. are in that program. Okay. Well. So then. that's how they're doubling the the money for the direction card. That is awesome. And yeah, I think that's important just so that you can access more people and more kinds of people. So far, a lot of uh, a lot of the local food movement's been very uh, bougie. Bourgeois, yeah, yeah. and you know it's it's based on restaurants that cost a lot of money, and a lot of those people are like my bread and butter, so I'm not dissing them. But at the same time, you're not creating a lot of food access by solely exclusively uh, solely exclusively selling at these restaurants. So by being out in the public and accepting assistance, you're attract you can attract, and you might not necessarily attract <laughs> more different kinds of folks, but it at least <laughs> opens yourself up. To that yeah, experience. it depends on whatever comes into the, however the market is marketed and itself. Where, you know, like who are the clients that come to Lakewood are pretty. Tip, I mean, they're pretty typical. It's yes, they are. Um, just, Gordon Square has a lot more basic, uh, like Latino and Black population. So I've never been to in that. In terms market, of yeah. more access, Gordon Square definitely offers a lot, yeah. a lot, a lot more. And I know there's other markets in the city that would probably even be better for that yeah it's probably like the gateway east one of the fifth that the Walton's put together would probably be an awesome one for access I see but I'm a west side kind of guy and I don't make it too far over to the east side yeah <laughs> except for my kinsman farm okay <laughs> and then we can move on to talk about number four is clean up yeah explanatory taking care of the property taking care of the property cleaning up whatever yeah shit that's been left or gets thrown there or gets dumped there or you know it's mostly water bottles and beer cans and stuff like that and uh-huh. at the same time cleanup goes towards the land itself just talking about digging out rocks and digging mm-hmm. out things and you're like what is this and yeah. just yeah being a good source of being a good neighbor and just kind of being a source of pride versus neglect so where was it? It's in here later, right? The, or is it in the beginning? What are you talking about? With the guy who wrote you a letter. Oh, <laughs> yeah. What did it say? Well, Pete's finally starting to show some respect these days. This guy said... Some, I'll have to read it. I, I well, can't even that, it, that. Something about you're, just, you're growing weeds and you have unkempt property and it looks like hell. And Pete and I are finally, I think, starting to make a little bit of peace... But he's really tormented me since being on the farm. Um, he runs a business across the street, and he lied to my face when I had to go through this board of zoning appeals to get my fence. Uh, he was telling me this other neighbor who has a has a rusty fence was concerned about my fence. Do you mind if I ask you some questions? And I was like, no, dude, I don't mind. Just ask yeah. away, man. I'm an honest guy. And he asked all his questions, and... 
when I went to this Board of Zoning Appeals, this judge process to get a freaking fence, Pete wrote a letter. And I, do you know the movie Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Not really. I'm all right, all right. That's okay. In it, there's a scene where, you know, these there's these dumb metalheads from the 90s traveling through time, and basically they're in England, and the, the whatever it is, the king or the prince is like, take them to the Iron Maiden. And they're all like, excellent, because they think it's, you know, Iron Maiden. And then, you know, that's actually an implement, a torture. And then, you know, the next follow-up is, and then execute them both. And then there's like, bummer or something. And that's how I felt. It was like, Pete wrote a letter. Okay. I was like, yeah, Pete's got my back. Yo, cool, man. Uh, Because he asked me for my card in case anything's wrong. He can give me a call and, you know, acted really neighborly. And then he opposed my offense for five separate reasons. And the fifth reason was... He enjoys it being a green space, and the former green space that it was was a mowed lawn. Mm, right. Um, so, like, reason five, and that's the only one I remember. Like, I was yeah, right. such that's, a yeah. punch in the face and a lie that I. At any rate, I got my fence, and then he called and, like, wanted the silver posts to be painted. So both, like, James Downing, the city attorney, got mad at me because I wouldn't paint my posts, and then Lila Zotner, my <laughs> grant director, got mad at me because I wouldn't paint my posts, and I felt like I was just being bullied. Like, really, I have no problem painting the posts, right, right, especially, right. like, people offered to buy the paint and right. even send a work crew over, but I felt if I, like, gave into this, like, ridiculous request that he would just keep pushing, and then right. there was more complaints about weeds on the fence line... And then one time I was driving up to my farm and, yeah, I literally caught him taking pictures of sunflowers. And I'm, like, leaning over the fence, taking pictures of sunflowers. I'm just like, what is Pete doing now? And it culminated into that. And at this point, again, we're on goodish terms, I guess, you know, but at the same time, we're not friends. Right. <laughs> what does he do over there? That's so. Um, well, that's just the thing. He's kind of. I think he's kind of an OCD dude, which is all right to be. He does a company called. Well, I'm not. I'm not gonna say the name of the company. Yeah, that's fine. But he calibrates gauges. So if if something needs to click one quarter of a yeah. millimeter by yeah, one yeah. quarter of a millimeter by that's one him. quarter of a millimeter. Mm-hmm. He's making that thing click like that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he's always got an eyepiece. And the thing about it is he's, like, probably, like, a late 30s, mid-40s dude who drives a Jeep. Like, he seems like he'd be a dude. Right. And so far, I'm he's not, okay. been not too dude-like. <laughs> his business has nothing to do with... He doesn't need the a certain aesthetic outside for his clients or anything. It has nothing to do with... No, he's yeah. got... It's, it's just, just a personal thing. It's a personal thing. I think he got mad that I got grant money from Obama. I think he might be a little tea party type of anger type of thing. I don't know. That's yeah. apparently he gripes about Obama a lot to a lot of people. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> For me to get some stimulus money, I think was killing. So him. yeah. So are you going through that right now or grant writing process? Is that all continuing? Uh, going? How does that work? I don't know. I got, I've got a couple grants. I've gotten the Guardian for Greenbacks from Cleveland, and then I got this reimagining grant from stimulus money via the city of Cleveland through Neighborhood Progress. It's kind of like convoluted to even go through it all. I just got a form back saying I've finished my Guardian for Greenbacks grant. I don't owe them anything anymore. The reimagining 
we still got two more years on my lease after this. So I'm imagining it's kind of concluding, excuse me, in about two more years. But I really don't know. Like, they're kind of keeping us uh, seemingly in the dark a little bit. And uh, it's a little, again, a little scary, a little frustrating. Um, A lot of people who got into this and got more money than I did already dropped out. Like, a lot of people came and gone already. So I don't... Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know... I don't know. That's what I'm Are there many? <laughs> how many people are there like you? Urban farming on this? I don't know, man. There's supposed to be like 40 or 50 or 60 urban farms in Cleveland. Like, what? I don't. Yeah, there's really? Like, yeah, there's over like 200 community gardens. Like, Cleveland is like blown up in terms of urban ag. Um, so, yeah, there's quite a few of us. I don't know them all. I could probably name like 10 or 12 folks. Yeah. But, you okay. know, just kind of looking at the numbers on Ohio. Huh. State University Extension. I have no idea. You know, I get emails from all sorts of stuff. All of my, I don't know where I'm pulling those numbers from, but I feel they're pretty accurate. <laughs> like I know I've seen those numbers. Okay. Like in something. Matter. I won't hold you to it. Well, yeah, I've only seen. You no, know, I only go to that one market. So there's just a couple that I see there. One from Avon. One from the Steelyard or whatever the hell that shit's called down there. Steelyard. Yeah. Um, Molly's Farm or Maggie's. Oh, Maggie's. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where are they? They're down there. Right? Yeah, they're 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 in the stockyard. Stock, is that what it's called? Yeah. Okay. And they've gotten a lot, a lot done. They're impressive folk. Oh, that's cool. One last thing. Furthermore, nonprofit farms should give away their food to the food banks or needy or whoever needs it. Like that, that's kind of what I would okay. be totally 101% okay with that. That'd be, ah. That would be amazing if they were non profit and gave away their and food. Gave food away. Yeah, that would be, that seems like what they should be doing. Okay. Instead of competing in the same marketplace that we all are trying to make I see. Yeah. a quasi honest living out of. Because uh-huh. <laughs> they're getting. They're getting theirs without the sale, even. That's exactly the, the product what it is. could literally be. Any, any grant I ever get, it'll never go towards my salary. It'll always be for like a fence, a capital cost. Mm-hmm. Any donation that they get from whomever is a tax write-off for the giver, and so they can straight to administration. Yeah, exactly. Like I would like, you know, in the in the manifesto, I talk about uh, intern wanted and like general secretarial. I would love to have someone who could answer my emails and texts and phone calls mm-hmm. and business deals in the meantime like even you and I just setting up this yeah. podcast took like two months, two, two months and it's least, just yeah. you know it, it's a whole other level of like administration to take on by yourself I and mean, I'm not complaining about taking it on by myself but some things take a lot longer to get done mm-hmm. than what they seem like they should <laughs> because of it a native Clevelander? Oh my god, no. No, no. Um, not really native to anywhere, dude. I was born in New Jersey, right outside of the Lincoln Tunnels, and saw Kiss when I was four at Madison Square Garden back in 1979. Then we moved to Memphis, Tennessee when I was like five or six. Then I was like there for five or six years, and then we moved to the hill towns of Pennsylvania. And now there, my parents could tolerate the hills towns of Pennsylvania. They're a little bit too small after living in basically New York and basically uh-huh. Memphis or Memphis 
so then we moved to Dayton, Ohio, when I was like 12 or 13. So I did all my what I call pubescent years <laughs> in Dayton, Ohio. And then I came up here in the early 90s to get a college education where I met my wife. I dropped out of that college because <laughs> I was really not ready to go to college yet. Then I finished up back in Southern Ohio at Miami University. Then we moved to Portland, Oregon for about five or six years. Wow. Then we moved here in 2004. I've actually lived in Cleveland longer than anywhere I've ever lived. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I actually consider myself more a Clevelander or anything. Okay. Technically, I'm in Lakewood, though my farm is in Cleveland. Some people will make yeah. distinctive lines about yeah, living right. in Lakewood. Right. I think Lakewood is really, really fascist. I'm not allowed to have chickens. I'm not allowed to have hoop houses. They're 25 blocks away. I can, and it's kind of ridiculous. No chickens in Lakewood? No, they've been working on it and working on it and working uh-huh. on it, and it just doesn't seem like anybody's any closer now than anybody was two and a half, three years ago. Wow, shit. Cleveland Heights is has chickens before Lakewood does, and that's just huh. embarrassing. Because Cleveland Heights is known for its police presence. Right. <laughs> Lakewood yeah. really isn't. Well, there's a bar every... 50 feet. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Lakewood's a fun town, man. I love, I, there's things I love about Lakewood. Um, I like the food culture. I like the denseness of liberally-minded folks that seem like they would have chickens. Um, I, I like the beer. I like the restaurants. I like the bikes. I like my Mind's Eye record store is one of the greatest gifts of record stores on the entire earth, and that's like five blocks away from here. So there's Things that I absolutely love about Lakewood, and there's things that really, really, really bother me about yeah. Lakewood, and chickens are primarily fucking chickens. Primarily, That's funny. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if I could have chickens. I'm gonna guess no. Where are you at? Fairview Park. That's Still that's technically Fairview. not Cleveland, right? No. Okay. Yeah, I don't. It's I don't place. You're allowed to. And Fairview Park is off of Lorraine, like 150th area? No, no, two, 200s. Oh, wow, it's way out there. Yeah, that's, it's right next to North Homestead. It's right south of Rocky River, right? Yep. Okay, I know. Yeah, so that's like 210, and then so from there to like 230. I go to a, I go to a liquor store on Lorraine out there. I forget what it's called. They have the, the Apple Jack that I like. Apple Jack? What's that? It's a Chagrin Falls, basically, apple whiskey. So, back in the day when, you know, uh, what's his face, Johnny Appleseed, he wasn't about pies, he was about cidering and applejacking. And the old way that they used to make a, a liquor out of cider was jacking it. And that's literally, they would ferment cider and put it out into the snow, freezing. The water would be removed that way, so they would have some type of liquor product eventually moved to a distillation process water freezes remove the, the ice alcohol doesn't yeah so you have the alcohols left right? and that that was that was traditional applejack applejack this proc this product is an apple bourbon that's distilled and oh, yeah. locally a, huh aged in oak barrels or they whatever must have been like, how did they even get a license for that it seems impossible now well there's, there used to be three micro distilleries. There is three micro distilleries in Ohio right now, and Applejack's one of them. The Watershed Gin out of Columbus is another, and I think Cincinnati's got one. Mm-hmm. But I don't like this man at all. John Kasich literally just passed some legislation that is basically allowing 
micro distilleries to thrive under microbrewery laws. And I don't know the exact legislation. Sounds impossible. That he would even do that. He, well, he, blind ball blows my mind. It blows my mind that he would do it. Again, this seems like the one kind of good thing that he's done. Yeah. Um, I think, for what I understand, and again, I'm not a lawyer and I haven't seen the law, but sure. they're defining a micro distillery as like, I think, ten or 40,000, 10,000 bottles or less. Okay. And what's cool about it is you're allowed to sample at your distillery and you're mm-hmm. allowed to sell at your distillery. Nice. So instead of going through yeah. like the classic Ohio State Liquor Store Agency hullabaloo. Oh, that's right. They're allowing I these... Don't, I don't drink hard liquor anymore, but they you have to... Um, in Ohio, you have to buy hard liquor through state yeah, stores. Yeah, it's, it's not like California's. Right, that's right. Yeah, okay. yeah. It's, it's not like the grocery you could just stores. you could just buy liquor anywhere <laughs> in California. Even they even sell the shot. Oh, those little ones of any alcohol you want. Plus, they have mixers in cans. You can uh, pop in a, just any like. Any mark. Get a can and, and it's got get a two ounce shot. Coconut and vodka you know, or whatever you want. Mango, rum, in a can, cold. California. What are you going to do? Take that home? Hell no. No. Slam Not when I'm in drive. Palm Springs and it's 108 degrees out. Yeah, we would drive to Mexico <laughs> and we'd just load up a whole cooler of those. And... Oh man, California is a crazy state, dude. Like, I love. That state and completely hate it at the same time. They're crazy because they they because they elect actors as governors. Yeah, I mean that's crazy. Everything about (laughs) it is so strange that they they're literally they they somehow they balance. I mean, you can buy raw milk in a retail store. Can you? Yeah, it's legal. Completely legal to buy raw milk, and yet other things are you know the bureaucracy is so massive there. And yet there's still some channels that are open, like liquor, raw milk, <laughs> yeah, some Medical marijuana, things. it seems like, is wide yeah, open, yeah. even though they're right, really right. closing down on that nowadays, too. Yeah, it's pretty wild, yeah. But Ohio is so old-fashioned with the stupid liquor laws. Like, you go to a store... It's better than uh, Pennsylvania, though. Yeah, they're really bad. Those are what they call the blue laws. Distributors. Blue laws, right. Yeah. And then, like, Ohio, the Sunday sales, a lot of places don't sell even wine. On Sundays, you have to have a special license yeah, for Sunday sales. And can't have that's it just so silly. Yeah, yeah. People should be able to do what they want, whatever the hell they want, in general. <laughs> well, if you're not harming, yeah, no, I 100 percent agree in the not harming process, knocking people out. But you can. Yeah. So this kind of goes well. back to this food sovereignty <laughs> idea. Oh, what is that? food sovereignty just means food freedom. Oh, that's all it really means. There are so many barriers, like small-scale food production. It's rather, rather super insanely sickening uh, how corporate laws have just created a, a total stranglehold on our food freedom. Things like what you're talking about, raw milk. I'm famous, not famous, but I have a, I have a mustard that people really, really, really like, and I cannot sell it because it's illegal under food laws and under canning laws mm-hmm. and even if I did sell it I know it would sell out but it, it doesn't you can't get into mar- the market because you, you're held up to industry standards like an industry production. that has nothing to do with me and right. seems more corrupt and more yeah. 
more bad food serving than anything I would ever, ever, ever do, or anything any of my co-farmers would ever, ever do. Like, I can't make a tomato sauce and sell it. That is ridiculous. Like, yeah. with all my tomatoes, I, I can't do that, of which I have, like, 80 pounds uh-huh. in this house right now that I need to get rid of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, then we were kind of talking about that before. I have the same problem. I can't sell anything I like to make either. So Is that in the fermenting process? Yeah, you can't. It's all illegal food. All of it. So Yeah, like, I, we should be able to have kombucha on the street corner like that that's ridiculous that yeah i mean even even normal traditional european known foods like sauerkraut illegal you know can't sell it so yeah it it sucks it's lame uh it inhibits small-scale producers it inhibits entrepreneurs like how are you really as an entrepreneur are you supposed to be able to like test market or try anything out if you can't even try it out like literally that's what's happening right now with these archaic laws like you you don't know you can't know because it's illegal to even try and that's completely completely absurd and disheartening too sure a very unhuman inhumanistic um action yeah yeah so yeah that's what food sovereignty about there's more also about land access and the food sovereignty and given farmers long-term claims you know supposedly the, the city of Cleveland has 6,000 vacant lots and they can't make me a 10 year lease you know again I've seen a lot of people come and go already there are definite flakes but I have not proven to be a flake there might be some weeds here and there for sure but uh-huh. I'm here to do this and yeah. at least I'd like to think I'm here to do this but uh-huh. learning that I might not have long-term access makes me really question what my own personal goals are uh, yeah, I know. So, what do you know the story of what happened down in the National Forest or whatever? They, the federal government took over that tract of land in Cleveland, and then they gave the farmers a bunch of lease property for like a hundred hundred oh. year leases down there. It's like I think it's a six year lease. You're talking about Cuyahoga Valley National Park. Yeah, I thought they had about like hundred year leases. It might be a hundred, but I think it's sixty. And okay. You know, the deals are amazing. I, uh, supposedly, it's there's no more tracts of land to be had. Like they're they're taken. Yeah. Um, that was the last grant process or competitive process. I don't mm-hmm. know what the process was. I I saw an application about a year ago, and supposedly this last round was like was it until okay. someone retires or moves on or wants to sell. Mm-hmm. But it was like incredible, incredible, incredible deals. Like uh, dude Brunty who does all the meat who's amazing. He's the chicken guy down there. He I, I don't know what the lease is, but it's very, very affordable and he actually has a natural gas well. Oh. Uh, that's his. Yeah. Under wow. the national park, yeah. under this law. Uh-huh. And he like freaking heats up his hoop houses with uh-huh. natural gas oh, that's wow. just right underneath them. And huh. some of them have houses, like most yeah. of them have houses from like old settlers and stuff. Yeah. So it's kind of a way that I think, you know, as part of the deal, you have to kind of maintain, you need to maintain the house and sure. blah, 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 blah. But like they're like getting like 20 or 30 acres plus like mineral rights and all sorts of Jesus. Wow. It's it's a very good That's deal. Cool. It's very uh, very integrated. I don't know what mm-hmm. the term is to actually even say it is, but it's. I don't think there's many other places that are doing anything like that. Hmm. But again, from what I understand, it's was it federal? What? It was Cuyahoga Valley National Park, so that's federal. Yeah, yeah. And there's a group called Countryside Conservancy who 
who's the nonprofit who oversees it, who does the grant process or the selection process. But again, beyond that, I don't. Yeah, I've never been down there. I don't know anything about it. I remember my father-in-law showed me something in the paper like a year ago. Yeah, I know. I, I don't know anything about it. I know Brunty Farms is down there, which he's he's like a 22, maybe 25-year-old guy who's like doing more meat than like pretty much anybody else in the... He's amazing, dude. Oh, that's cool. Like wow. a lot of chickens, a lot of eggs. Yeah. I think he's moved into some hogs and some other stuff. Wow. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something far out, that's for sure. Ah, oh, we're doing good. What does that mean? Time. It went full by, an hour. That was an hour? Yeah. Wow, dude. It's pretty wild, huh? For sure. 55 minutes. Do you have any other questions? Do you have any other... I don't know. Whatever you want. I don't know, man. I'm kind of losing my voice. All right. That's fine. <laughs> I'm starting to play rock and roll again. That has me... I was going to say, what's with the rock and roll angle? You're... Screaming. You huh? Oh, yeah. I just really like music. That's always been kind of one of my biggest passions in life. And Cleveland's like an amazingly music-centric, fertile city for awesome music. And uh, I don't know. You really can't get enough music in Cleveland. Um, you know, Are you in a band? I'm restarting. I was in a band, and then this farming thing took over, and I also at the same time had a not a fallout with a drummer, but I lost my drummer, and I wasn't really looking for another drummer, and then a drummer moved here. So yeah, I'm in a band again. It's called Own Weather. Own Weather. Yeah, we're playing our first show in two years on September 2nd. Uh-huh. And now that's class at the audiovisual baptism. What do you do in the band? I play bass and write most of the songs and do something like singing. <laughs> Is it a backup role or? <laughs> no, it's just not very singing like. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, it's just about bass and drums right now, so it's just a two piece. It's just a big ruckus bringing of a band. Huh. That's for sure. Do you have any MP3s or anything? Uh, somewhere. I, you know. Yeah, I have some old ones. Send me something. I gotta hear something. Nothing, nothing recently. But All right, so you're playing September second. Second. That's at Nellis Class. I actually got a ton of events coming. On August 25th is Old Hushers Rock and Roll Donut Night, and that's gonna be shh, cat. Our cat's 20. She's crazy. We're not beating her. She just meows a lot. She's 20. Yeah. So May Hall's Old Hushers Rock and Roll Donut Night. And there's uh-huh. gonna be. Uh, the Strange Notes opening, the new Lou Reed's, and El Grande Historia del Rock playing while I'm making sweet potato donuts with maple syrup glaze in the bar and kitchen room. So uh, it should be a fun event. Maybe my next entrepreneurial endeavor might be a made-to-order donut shop. So this is kind of like a pop-up event to kind of... Uh-huh. And where is it? This is at Mayhall's. Some people call it Mahal's. Uh-huh. It's kind of an old Lakewood family-run bowling alley that some another family of really kind of cool hip 30 year old types just recently bought it's uh-huh. a sister and a sister and they're two dudes and uh, they're doing a real good job of booking bands and making cool. good food and huh. making good drinks they have, yeah. kale, they have kale margaritas they have the best fried chicken in Cleveland they have all sorts of good stuff over huh. there cool. Cool. But then on August 29th is Old Hushers Insights to Heirlooms at the Farm on West 130th. And that's going to be a two-hour seminar that I'm doing in conjunction with Ohio State University Extension okay. about growing heirlooms for a 
urban farm market garden practice. So basically doing it beyond just a hobby. How to deal with like uncertainties, uncertainties in terms of length of time to a maturity, uncertainties in terms of heirloom tomatoes don't ripen perfectly. Yeah, right. Um, a lot of some disease control stuff, some seed saving stuff, oh. and how after a couple of years, what I've learned to kind of deal with these things. And you yeah. know, quite frankly, I don't have a CSA. Do you have, like, you know, do you, <laughs> do you have flyers or? Um, can you write it down or email me like soon so the, I can the what? put it all on a link on the, for the podcast for all the events? Yeah, 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 totally. Well, I have a I, something easy, so I don't have to. You're not on Facebook, are you? Yeah, I am now. But are you? my name of uh, the show is. I'm not. I don't have a personal account. What exactly is the name of the show? Doc Fermento so, discovers the world. Okay, well then I need to like you, man. I'm trying to find you a flyer, and I can't remember where I put them. But yeah, I can do digi flyers too, man. There's all that stuff. I put them somewhere and got It's. I mean, it, I don't need this minute, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'm gonna uh, post the show on Tuesday, and I want to have the notes in there. Okay, so you're gonna post. I'll like, be at the market tomorrow. Are you gonna be there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, With the, this many meters, I definitely will be there. <laughs> oh, you, yeah. I need. I'll get some of those from you. Um, Sweet. Let's see. Yeah, this will go up the 14th. I'll get you the links by then. Okay. One's on Ohio State University Extension website. One's on Facebook. You okay, pretty easy. Cool. And then, uh, I don't know if the show's even listed on Now It's Class yet, but... Yeah, it's going to be a crazy end of the month, and September's going to be nuts. September's got Paw Paw Fest down in Athens, which is... I've been making an annual pilgrimage down there for the last four years. Uh-huh. That's a lot, a lot, a lot of fun. Uh, Paul, Paul, I just found out what those were last year, and oh, they're quite amazing. Yeah, you don't uh, like them? Ah, uh, they yeah, kind of slimy. They're slimy, yeah, and they buddy. stink, man. They don't. Oh, they they're smell like good, man. Smells like citrus semen or something like that. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't like them. Uh, <laughs> no, some people don't. I've heard that from other folks, and that's okay to have that opinion. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but yeah, the Melvins are playing that month. The big Melvins, business, the big business are playing that month. The real the Melvins, yeah, really? Dude. They're still around. The Melvins are the greatest band on earth, man. Oh yeah, sure. Wow, like, they 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 they're like wine. They've gotten better with age. Okay. And like my favorite bass player, King Buzzo, the main guy from the Melvins. He's traditionally been my favorite musician for the last 10, 15 years. He's just an amazing dude. But then my favorite bass player of this dude named Jared of Big Business, basically the Melvins took all of Big Business and made the Melvins. Okay. And Big Business still exists also. Okay. But instead of having one drummer, now they have two drummers, and then huh. Jared is their bassist. And so Jared trumped King Buzzo as my favorite musician because as a bassist, he's my favorite bassist, uh-huh. then he joined my favorite band. And wow. it's like, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> really? And, uh, yeah, so I can't get enough. Oh, you're in heaven, then. No, I really, it's, it's no, kind of... So they're playing... That's going to be at the Grog Shop on the 25th. Uh-huh. Big Business. The other Big Business is going to be in Pittsburgh on the 22nd. They have a different basis for this tour. They're actually trying to set a Guinness Book of World Records with this tour. It's 50 states plus the District of Columbia... In 51 days 
Like that's what they're doing. Okay, all right. And uh, big business is touring in the meantime, and they have a different bassist who's been a part-time bassist. Mm-hmm. This guy named Trevor Dunn, who's famous for being in Phantomas, and but even more famous for being in Mr. Bungle, is their stand-in bassist currently. But he does it like a stand-up bass, and it's kind of little bit different so you're deep in that more. 90s music that. <laughs> uh, Melvin's are 80s music 80s turn 90s okay. they're, they're, they, they've never stopped playing they have like 40 albums out oh like, my god the Melvin's like and every one of them is really huh. awesome cool but yeah I do like 90s music very cool not, not like Pearl Jam okay but Hammerhead oh my god yeah <laughs> alright let me shut this down before you lose your voice and I'll ruin your singing career Oh, that's not like that at all. Alright. Gotta do this. Save as, save as one more time.